Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Such a fan. Rob Reiner, the, I know you're going to blush, but you are great. The great writer, director, producer, actor, child of the Hollywood film business from New York, director of The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men. This is fucking Spinal Tap. (laughs) Misery, The American President. Um, acted in so many things, of course, uh, just an advocate, an outspoken advocate, and now a podcaster. My li- You have your uh, documentary, Defending My Life, with Albert Brooks, the great Albert Brooks, which... That must have been so much fun. I mean, the two... You must have... I mean, forget the work, just have, hanging around with him. Well, we're childhood friends. You know, we've... We met each other in high school. We've been best friends since, and we shared a house together. And yeah, so it was that that was a real labor of love. That's so cool. That is so cool. And now you have a podcast, Who Killed JFK, which I'm just going to say this off the top to you, and I'm going to say this to anybody listening. There's no way I'm going to be able to ask all the questions that somebody should ask Rob Reiner. Um, It's impossible to do that. Um, I mean, you should have your own documentary, the things you've seen, the things you've done, the stories, the parties, the actors you've worked with, the actors you've directed. Well, maybe, Michael, I'll hire you. Maybe you can make the documentary oh, about me. That would be fucking awesome. You have, do you have uh, filmmaking skills? I have filmmaking skills, and I've directed a couple of documentaries, and I know, uh, just like you know, they are an arduous, challenging— Yes, they're very difficult. Yeah, very difficult. Yeah. I mean, just first, since we're in there, like, wouldn't you say on some level making a documentary is even more challenging than making a scripted film because of the unpredictability? Well, the thing about, you know, making a first real documentary, I made, you know, Spinal Tap was a fake documentary. That was fun and easy to do, even though there was no script, because everybody... Uh, in the film was an improvisational actor. The whole film was improvised. So it felt natural to all of us, and I didn't have any problems with it. As a matter of fact, we're, we're preparing a, a sequel to Spinal Tap, which uh, uh, we're going to start shooting uh, early part of next year. I, I got to um, stop you. I got to stop you. And I just have to say, please make that movie. Film fans need it. The world needs it. There will be no better time to alleviate the craziness that's going on with a Spinal Tap reunion Film. Please do not let <laughs> yeah. anything get in the way of that. Well, no, we're bullying ahead here. I mean, we're waiting for hopefully the writer's strike uh, will be over soon. We're, we're hearing good things actor's about strike. the negotiations. Yeah. I mean, excuse me. I, I said writers. I meant actor's strike. The writer's strike is over. Yeah. The actor's strike. And so once that, ha- you know, once that, ha- we're ready to go and we've got a good story and uh, we're ready to go. 
Man, that, I mean, that would be a fucking, it just like warms my heart to even think and to hear you say that. Let me just start with this. I said I was going to start with Trump. Uh, and again, I can't a- ask all the questions. I'm, I'm just going to, and I'm not even going to go into so much of what, you know, like how you were friends with Albert Brooks and the other people that you were friends with around uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood and the things that you saw. But, you know, for me, watching All in the Family was such a unique thing because I didn't understand that it was even a show. I didn't understand that it was a sitcom. I didn't understand that these were characters. It was so real from the top down. The set, the opening, the performances, Carol O'Connor, all of you guys were so incredible. When you look back on that time working as an actor, what do you remember the most? And specifically, what was Carol O'Connor like in between takes? Because when I saw him do other things afterwards and do things that he had done before Archie Bunker, I was like, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me because he was right, Archie right. Bunker to me. Right. And as a matter of fact, uh, he was in the film Cleopatra. And uh, when it came out, he, our, uh, you know, all the family had already been out and people would go to the theater and, the, you know, in the scene where they're going to, you know, where they're going to kill Caesar, you know, uh, somebody said, go get him, Archie, you know, <laughs> he was, you know, he was, yeah. but um, he was very, very different from the character he played. As a matter of fact, not many people know, but he was even more liberal than I I am, you know, he was way to the left of me, and which mm. is interesting because he played the bigot and I played the liberal, but he was, you know, a, a dyed-in-the-wool liberal, you know, so he's very different. But the two things that I take away from it, the most, the, that I remember the most, the, that is it was for me going to getting my graduate degree, you know, in show business, because... I learned, you know, I wrote some of the episodes with my partner, Phil Mishkin. When I wasn't in the scene, I'd spend my time in the writer's room. I'd go to mm. the uh, d- the booth where the director was, and I'd mm. learn about how to put things together. We did it in front of a live audience, so I learned what audiences responded to and how you craft a, a little stage play, which is what it was. And Carol taught me about acting and how, when, you know, he said— if the story in the script is good, you don't have to make faces. You don't have to do anything. Let the audience in just by looking, you know? And so he taught me about the acting. And then Norman Lear, who was like a second father to me. I mean, he's, you know, I love him dearly. And, uh, you know, he's 101 now mm. and just still hanging in there. But, I mean, you know, I love him uh, like a second father. And he taught us about pushing the edge of the envelope. Really, he was what I called, it's a Yiddish term, which you, uh, Michael, you know, probably won't understand not being of, no, I know you would get this, but uh, he, he's what I called a kuckleffel. Uh-huh. A kuckleffel, it's a Yiddish phrase, means a, a, a ladle, something that stirs the pot. And that's what he did. Every single episode, it was pushing us to get more, to try to make it edgier, to try to, you know, find, you know, dig into ourselves and find uh, a truth within ourselves to push out into the character and into the story. So those are the experiences. I mean, we never thought it was going to be a success. So we thought, well, let's do the best we can and, you know— put it all out there and we had no idea that it was going to be successful it came out on i think a tuesday you know in in 1971 and wow. and cbs had a had a a disclaimer they put a disclaimer on basically saying you know we don't subscribe to the you know the position basically they were saying you know, watch this show at your own risk. We don't know how it got on. <laughs> Somehow it's on the air, but you know, I don't. We don't want to have anything to do with it. You watch it if you like it, fine. You know, but then it became successful. I personally think that not only do I think a show like that is needed now, but I personally think that a show like that would do well, particularly right now. Well, I mean, we can't be more divided. I mean, that's for sure. And, you know, talk about red state, blue state. I mean, we're we're living in it now, and I think you could have 
Uh, now, you know, we're in a, also in a PC world. Now it would probably have to be, you know, either streamed or, you know, something. It could never be on regular television. But, um, yes, I agree with you. I think it could. there could be a, a show like that now. Don't, don't you think, though, like when you say it couldn't be on regular television, I think it would be, you know, we all know that network TV isn't what it was even five years ago, let alone in 1971 or the 80s and the 90s or anything but me personally i feel like you know there's no cursing on it there's no anything and i feel like literally uh if you took the scripts of all in the family and you remade it and you uh, took you know the vietnam war and changed it to this and changed it to that and you change you know black lives matter to something i literally think you can do the exact same show today and it would do significantly better than the majority of sitcom shows uh, that are going on because I feel like we need it. We, and, and I feel like it should be done on a PC f format and it should be done where you don't need to be on a streamer. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, I, you know, I would hope you would be right, but I know, you know, you can't, you know, in the show, the, the N word was used. Right. And you can't use that now. Right. And there are certain, you know, uh, racial epithets that were flung around, you know, flying out of Archie's mouth that I don't think, you know, and to me, that's what made it real. Mm. I mean, he was a bigot. He, you know, and there are still those people. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know that you could say those things. I mean, you know, you, you get canceled. Yeah, I guess. I just think that, you know, like, I mean, today when we're taping November 1st, I think that it's needed more and the conversations and the discussions and the... There's just so many great memories I have from watching it. When you see clips pop up, I know you're on social media, like, do you look at it, are you able to appreciate it as a fan or are you like, oh yeah, that day my back was hurting, uh, that day, <laughs> you know, my, my car, like, how are you able to see, when you see those clips, what do they, how do they process with you? Well, it's funny because I haven't really watched the show in, you know, decades. I mean, it was on, like I say, 1970. It's, you know, what is that? That's 50 years, it's you know? I haven't really, yeah, it's insane. So I haven't really watched the show, but I am on, you know, uh, Twitter, now X, and every once in a while something will pop up and I'll go, oh, look at that. I I used to be on that show, you know, it was, it was weird. It's weird. But then I'll just look at it as... Was it good? I mean, did we do the and and I'm always surprised at how good it is. Mm -hmm. It's still really good. And my kids, you know, when they started watching when they were younger, they kept saying, "Dad, you know, it sounds like you, but <laughs> it doesn't look like you." It's is that you? You know, they couldn't imagine that I ever looked like that. Like I said, I'm going to preface this one more time about not being able to ask you uh, every single thing I, I would love to ask you. What excites you the most creatively today? Like I said, you've done so much. What, you know, artists, and you are a true artist, um, you know, we're not like athletes. We're able to go into the wheels fall off. Uh, your father went, uh, I'm sure, until the wheels, you know, they slow down, but we still have, you know, the impotence to, you know, create. What inspires you as an artist, as a creator, as a producer, as a director, as a performer today uh, at your age? How old are you now, Rob? I'm 76. Shit, you look great, man. Really? Fucking yeah. great, well, I got man. I got a gray beard, gray beard. It looks good, um, though. I mean, it, but, well, thanks, it, it, you, you know. look good. And, and not in, you're not, like, coming on to me, are you? No, 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 okay, not good, here. Good, but good. if I you get a text make... message from me before, that will okay, be, Okay, later, yes, yes. yeah, you, when you say, what are you wearing, or something like that. Yes. Um, Wait, did you already get the text? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think a lot about you know, how many more productive years I will have, you know? And uh, right now I'm firing on a lot of cylinders. I got a documentary out. I got, I've actually produced another documentary about uh, Christian nationalism and the danger it is to our country and to Christianity. And that's, you know, coming out next year. And I've got this JFK podcast and we're talking about, you know, like I said, we're going to do a sequel to Spinal Tap. So I got a lot of things that I'm doing and uh, I think about a lot about how many more years can I do stuff? And I look at Clint Eastwood and he was 90, whatever. But, you you know, I just like doing this stuff and I try to find things that resonate with me. In the theatrical area, I try to find things that I can put 
all of what I've learned at this point or all of what I think about into a project and find a, a way of making it entertaining and, and all of that. So I have a few things that I still want to do. And uh, I just hope, you know, I, like you say, until the wheels come off, until somebody says, you know, you can't do this anymore. I want to keep going. Yeah. I am Rappaport Podcast. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the Draft Kings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. John Wall, baby, needs no introduction. Every week, the five-time NBA All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA and what's going on now in the league. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John Wall will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show to give their unfiltered accounts of what's really going on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I want to ask you specifically about actors that you have directed because so many actors, as you know, it's like a different personal relationship. You're almost like a therapist. You're a coach. You're a masseuse. You're a friend. You're a best friend. Yeah, um, I, I, but no, no happy endings. No, you know, when no, no, I, no. The masseuse no. part, there's never a happy ending. No, it's above board. You're just a straight up, yes, like it's yes, a deep okay, tissue yes, massage. Yes, and they keep their clothes on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'll start with the top, you know, and I know you've answered this question before. Directing Jack Nicholson, what is the strategy? What is the the groove? What is he like on set? I'm just, is he a three-take guy? Is he a guy that tries things? What was it like uh, working with him, directing him in one of his most iconic performances in A Few Good Men? Well, first of all, he's he's in the pantheon of the great actors, screen actors of all time. Period. I mean, you, you, period, you know. And so uh, he is a professional. He First of all, he loves to act, and he's a professional. He comes to work prepared. Um, I remember when we first started um, rehearsals, we have a, a t what they call a table read. Everybody sits around the table, and we read the script. And Jack uh, comes with a full performance. What I saw at the table is essentially what I wind up seeing on screen. And it sends a message to every other actor. We, you know, we had Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon and, you know, uh, Demi Moore. I mean, all these Jesus really Christ. young, great actors. And when they see Jack coming to play, they it sends a message to them. That's, we better be on our game too. It's like watching Babe Ruth. It's like being on the Yankees, you know? And all of a sudden, Babe Ruth steps in the cage and he starts hitting him into the upper deck. Everybody says, oh, okay, this is for real. We got to do this. And Jack was always like that. He was like that every, you know, all the way. Now, in that famous scene where he does that great speech, you know, you can't handle the truth, um, that scene 
you know, it's a long speech. He's got a long speech. And I said to Jack, I said, Jack, you know, I can do one of two things. Let me, I can either, if you're ready, I can shoot you first. Or I have a lot of cutaways. I have a lot of reactions with, you know, Kevin Bacon and Kevin Pollack and to me and, and Tom and all this. And I can shoot their reactions. Um, and then I can turn around and shoot your part, whatever you like. And he says, well, why don't you, you know, shoot them and then I'll, it'll give me a chance to, uh, you know, work into it. And so I said, fine. So now we're shooting the, the reactions and the first, uh, take is exactly how you see it in the film. He does it a third, second time, a third time, a fourth time. I finally, I said, Jack, you know, why don't you save a little bit when I come around and shoot you? He says, Rob, you don't understand. I love to act. He says, I don't get good parts like this always, you know? And that was his thing. He, it was the same. When I turned around, it was the same performance. He's, he's a brilliant actor. And, uh, but, you know, every actor's different, you know? Some actors like a lot of attention. Other actors want to be left alone, and you have to figure that out. Some actors uh, don't want you to give a line reading. Now, being an actor and, you know, having a feel for music, I can tell people how to say a line if it's a comedy thing that they don't get. Jack would ask me sometimes, how do you want me to say it? Tom Cruise asked me. And though actors who ask you are the most secure of all actors because they don't care. They're just wanting to get the best performance. The actors who are insecure say, don't tell me, I don't want to know, you know, like that kind of thing. So, um, you know, a couple of times I would give, I gave Jack a line reading. I gave uh, Tom a line reading. I love that so much. I love that so much. And me personally, um, I like line readings from directors because, you know, all the philosophical, uh, yeah. uh, you know, highfalutin, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm not getting it, how do you want me to say it? Boom, boom. It's yeah. just like, it's a plug and play yeah. that way. And it just cuts to it. And I think it is true. You're, they're more secure uh, in general uh, to ask that. And it saves everybody's time. Yeah. No, it does. And especially when it's a comedy moment and you want to just make, and because I remember the one moment where Tom says, uh, you know, Demi is leaving his apartment and she starts to say something and he says, I know what you're going to say. You know, you love, you know, I'm, uh, you like working with me. Uh, it's been great and I'm smart and this and, you know, it's because they're going to go into court the next day and this, that and the other. And she says, no, I was just going to say, uh, uh, wear matching socks. And he just says, Okay, good tip. Right. You know? Right. And that's all. And he says, how do you want me to say it? I said, okay, good tip. You know? That's good. And that was it. Did, yeah. did you ever imagine, I mean, Tom Cruise was a star at that point, but he's in a yeah. different planet. Could you ever imagine that there would be stars as magnificent and he's a planet of Hollywood. Like, he's like his own planet. Well, he's like, Tom Cruise is, I think, the only l remaining star in Hollywood that you can bank on. I mean, it used to be a star was somebody who would bring people to the theater, you know? And Tom is like the last of the great old-fashioned movie stars. I mean, a lot of great actors. There are a lot of stars. Leonardo DiCaprio, to me, is one of the most brilliant actors, maybe the most brilliant. But it's like he's an actor in a part, whereas Tom Cruise is, like you say, he's above, he's bigger than all that. And I think he's like the last remaining old-fashioned movie star. Yeah, or new fashion movie star, because I don't know yeah, if that'll no, ever. Yeah, no, but I mean, I mean, yeah, no, it's it's it just keeps transcending it, and so yeah, and he's he's handled his career uh, really well. I I wish that Tom would do uh, something more uh, character driven or personal. You know, he used to balance those things. He'd do the more, uh, you know, the Mission Impossible type things, and he'd he'd uh, you know balance it off with other things. I wish he would do a, a little bit more of that, but I'm not going to tell him what to do. He knows what to do. He's a great actor. He knows what to do. I'm going to ask you other actors, like or just when Harry met Sally. It needs no introduction. It needs no reference. The fucking film is beautiful. It's you know at a top film of so many people. It's so captured the romance uh the highs and lows the thrills of victory the agony of defeat in a relationship uh as a new yorker you guys shot it beautifully i mean perfectly the new york 
of When Harry Met Sally is so just, it's like a great meal every time you look at it and you're just like, oh, and you've seen it and you've seen them walk in the park and you recognize the leaves from when you first see it and the snow and all that stuff. What was their chemistry like? And how did you guys have fun making that movie? I imagine you and Billy yeah. have known each other. And, and what was that? Yeah, the- no, I, I met Billy. Uh, he was cast in, a, in an episode of All in the Family. And uh, he was cast as, uh, as my best friend. And so uh, oh, Norman Lear, you know, he probably knew something. So we became friends then. We've been friends ever since. And so, uh, yeah, that was fun. It was fun to to work with Billy because with Billy, you're not only getting the guy who can act the part, but you're getting freebies and you're getting big freebies. I mean, he wrote the line, I'll have what she's having, which is the biggest and funniest line of any film I've ever done. And uh, he came up with that line. So, and a number of other lines in the film. So uh, that's the gift you get with Billy. You get a lot of freebies. Oh, that's, that's good. That's really good. I love that. The late, great Jimmy Kahn, one of the great tough guy actors, charismatic actors, a great Jewish actor who a lot of people forget was a Jewish, uh, you know, tough guy personified. Uh, you worked with him on Misery. In my opinion, his comeback film, along with Kathy Bates. This is a goddamn fucking another classic. I mean, a goddamn fucking classic. You make fucking <laughs> classics, Rob Reiner. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What was his style of acting like? And uh, what is Kathy Bates uh, like when you're directing her in Misery? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, first of all, he was a Jewish guy and he was a cowboy. You know, he used to ride in a rodeo and he used to rope calf. He was a calf roper. And so that was always weird to me, a Jewish cowboy anyway. Um, but he, Jimmy's style was totally instinctive. He didn't want to have rehearsals. He just, whatever would come out. Kathy was a stage-trained actress, mm. and she liked lots of rehearsals. So it was interesting. We had to do more rehearsals than Jimmy would have liked and less rehearsals than than Kathy would have liked. But uh, they worked great together. They were amazing together. And uh, I think it worked well for Jimmy because he— you know, he's very physical. Like you say, he's a you know, macho kind of guy. He's a cowboy, he right? rides horses and stuff. And the idea that he would be stuck in a bed, that he could not be physical, he couldn't move for the whole movie, it was like a perfect thing for him because it restricted him and made his frustration even greater. And every day I would come to the set and I would say to Jimmy, I'd walk in close, I said, Jimmy, like in this scene, what I want is for you to be in bed. And then I'd walk away. (laughs) Every day I said that. In this scene, you're in bed. (laughs) <laughs> I just walked away. That is funny. And, but he, he he was great. And he yeah, though his frustration uh, came out and it was really good. I love that so much. Um, I mean, I don't want to go into every film, uh, but again, The Princess Bride, Stand By Me is such an, another beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film that I just uh, rewatched and I put on, uh, I was doing a list of uh, top, uh, my favorite summer films, you know, and, and I just rewatched it this summer. When you're acting, you acted in... The Wolf of Wall Street, when you're acting in something like that, and obviously you're a fan, I don't have to ask, you're a fan of cinema, you're a fan of actors, you're a fan of films. When you're acting under Scorsese and you don't have to worry about every single thing, are you like, this is a day at the beach? Are you kind of checking out what he does? Because I'm sure you you love what he does. Like, what is that like for you? And what was specifically is, like that? It is like a day at the beach. I, I love... You know, to act is is fun because you don't have the responsibilities. I mean, you're just there. And, you know, especially, you know, with somebody like Martin Scorsese, I mean, the guy's brilliant. He's a great, great filmmaker. So you don't have to worry about anything. And he makes you feel comfortable. He lets you improvise. He lets you do whatever whatever you want. And, uh, you know, I love being on other people's sets because I see how they do it. I mean, you know, I did a a part in a Woody Allen film and I saw how he liked to work. And to me, you know, it's fun because I get to see what other people do. I remember one time Ron, Ron Howard sent me, he wanted me to be in something. And he said, I got this thing if you'd like to do. I said, yeah, I'll be in it. And he said, well, don't you want, let me send you this script. You'll read it and see if I says, I don't have to read it. 
I said, if it's no good, it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm just acting. I'm an actor. I'm not going to, you know, and I, I try, you know, so it to me, it's just fun. It's just fun to do. And there's not a lot of responsibility, which is kind of fun. What did you take away or what did you notice a surprised, interesting about working for Scorsese as an actor? Well, the, like I say, he he lets you play. I mean, uh, you can improvise, and, and he lets you do that. And so I was comfortable doing that in a number of scenes. And, and, but if you have people that you can do it with, mm -hmm. it's great. Like in, in one scene with Jonah Hill, I mean, you, you know, you could play back and forth with him. Uh, there was one scene I remember. Um, I was sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm standing with um, uh, Leo, Leo's in the middle, and then there's John Favreau, who's a great director too. And he's, right. the law he's, he's his lawyer. And we're standing there, and he's got it's in front of this beautiful setting on Long Island with his wife and his kid and their horseback riding. And there's a great, you know, beautiful acreage and everything. And I'm saying to him, I said, Look, his lawyer says, Look, you know, we can make a settlement here for this, and you can, you'll only go to jail for a year or two. And, you know, or we can settle it and the thing. And he goes, and I says, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. You don't want to throw this all away. Look, you got your wife, your kids, you know, you don't want to throw this all away. And he says, I hear you. And I said, and then that was the end of the scene. I said, no, I, I don't think you hear me. I don't hear you hearing me. And that to me, it was like, I felt like I was in a Scorsese film. You know, it's like, you know, you don't even know what you mean by you, you know, like in Raging Bull. And then I said, I actually said, I feel like I'm in a Martin Scorsese film. And he says, all right, cut it. You know, like that. I am Podcast. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. John Wall, baby. Needs no introduction. Every week, the five-time NBA All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA and what's going on now in the league. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John Wall will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show to give their unfiltered accounts of what's really going on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Just to move off of Hollywood, the actors strike, the writers strike, you know, it's so, it's been so frustrating. You know, the business has changed so much just as the time that I've been in it. Do you see an end of, of the actors strike? And I mean, you know, my, the this is what my suggestion is at this point. Our biggest stars, the biggest, Tom Cruise, Margot Robbie, who just made a piece of property worth a billion dollars. Um, Denzel, Leonardo, you know, you could get the, the 15 best, the biggest best, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Viola Davis, uh, you know, get them. They go in front of these producers and they represent the actors and they go, what the fuck? 
You know, like if I'm Margot Robbie, I mean, you can't tell her no. She just made a piece of property that was worth a billion dollars. Where do you see this going? How do you see this ending? You know both sides because you're you're probably in every yeah. you get insurance from up the wazoo. Your Screen Actors Guild, your Producers Guild, your Writers Guild. What what do you see just in regards to the actors, Rob? Well, I mean, it, like you say, it's a very strange time, and uh, I don't think we know how this is all going to shake out right now. I think that the actors, you know, are making progress, and I hopefully they'll they'll settle, but. Uh, the contract that they sign usually goes for three years. And in three years' time, this landscape is going to change dramatically. And we don't know the effects of AI and where that's going to go. We don't know whether or not uh, all the streaming platforms are still going to exist the way they do. Is there going to be uh, commercials on streaming platforms and it's not going to just be about subscription? And where are the revenue streams coming? And it's now it's all unknown. So you have to make a deal uh, that's somewhat good, as good as you can. And then hopefully, if it starts to form itself and shake itself out in a certain way, then you can address it a little better. Because right now, we're in a very uh, gray, amorphous area in terms of where revenue is going to come from. Yeah, it, that's a good way to put it. And uh, you're right. I didn't even think... Uh, you know, of three years ahead, how it's going to change. Because who the hell knows what kind of technology. I mean, if you yeah. played around with this AI shit, it's it's shocking what it does. Yeah. And I, I've only done it, you know, like on apps on my phone. You know, that there, there, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's yeah, music. Yeah. There's all sorts of shit that well, they're... Well, yeah, I mean, if you're an actor, it seems to me it's an easier... Um, thing to control uh, if you're an actor because there should be ways of copywriting your your image and your voice and all of that so that and they can't take certain things of you and use them in ways that you don't agree on. With writers, it's tougher because they can take writing samples from everywhere and you can't identify where that came from in terms of creating a a new product. So I think it's much tougher for writers than it is for actors, to be honest. I agree. In terms of controlling AI. I agree. It, it, that's the scariest part, but they made a deal, and, and still uh, the actors are out here with signs, and it's getting cold in New York, Rob. The party, you know, like I were like partying out there, is cold. today was the first coldest day, so we need to get this shit yeah. fixed. Um, I'm going to yeah. totally pivot to politics and social stuff, and since you are starting your podcast on iHeartRadio, Who Killed JFK, which I know you have been interested and fascinated with uh, for a long time, who did kill JFK? Come Answer the fucking question right now, Rob Reiner. Well, I'm going to answer it, but if you want to know how I got to this answer, then you have to listen to the podcast because it's simple and complicated at the same time. And what I try to do with the podcast is lay it out, what actually happened, and try to make it as digestible for people who don't know the story and make it... um not so overly explained for people who do know a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting about all of this is information about what happened on November 22nd, 1963 has dribbled out over the last 60 years. So whatever you think you knew at the time, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, new stuff is still coming out. Something came out within the last month or so, and we have this guy, Paul Landis, who was a Secret Service agent who was on the follow car behind Kennedy, mm. who found the bullet that they called the single bullet. And that blows the whole case open because the argument has always been, was it Lee Harvey Oswald by himself or was he part of a larger conspiracy? And here's what's interesting. The Warren Commission says it's Lee Harvey Oswald all by himself. Oh, a little over 10 years later, the House Select Committee on Assassinations says it was a conspiracy. Now, they don't say what this conspiracy was, <laughs> but they say the exact opposite. And because they didn't have all the information, 
I interviewed the guy who was the head legal counsel for the House Select Committee, and he himself said, if I knew then what I know now, Mm -hmm. it would have been completely different because he had no idea the CIA's involvement and how they were involved in this. You have to understand, and I'm, you know, I won't get too far in the weeds because you listen to the podcast, but Alan Dulles, who was the first um, non-military guy to head up the CIA, he was the gatekeeper for the Warren Commission. And no information about the CIA and his their relationship and their relationship to Oswald ever came out in the Warren Commission. The House Select Committee had another guy named George Joannides, who was a CIA agent, and he was the gatekeeper of CIA information coming into that investigation. Mm. Turns out he was the head of a program that cultivated people like Lee Harvey Oswald. So he was keeping things out. And that's what, when this guy, Robert Blakey, heard it, it was the legal counsel. He said, gee, I, if I'd have known that, I would have investigated him. I didn't know that any of this stuff. So all this stuff has come out. And what we will tell you is that there were elements of the CIA, and these are all rogue elements. This is not a uh, on-the-books plan. This is done in a rogue kind of way. And I talked to some CIA agents who also said it had all the earmarks of a CIA-type operation. It's a combination of them, uh, the Cuban exiles who were kicked out of Cuba in 1959 when Castro took over and were dying to get back into Cuba, and it was the mafia who were also furious about not only getting kicked out of Cuba and losing their uh, hotels and casinos, but they were furious at the Kennedys for prosecuting them for uh, for being mobsters. So you had those three elements that uh, came together in a way, in a very, uh, it's simpler when you hear the story and it's laid out. It's complicated, but then when you hear how it's done, it's pretty simple. I can't wait to listen to it. I can't wait to listen to it. And it's a never-ending, fascinating, uh, infuriating, confusing uh, story. So well, I try to make it, it is confusing, and I try to make it uh, as simple, as understandable as possible. Like I've said, we say it at the beginning, it's the greatest murder mystery in the history of America. There's never been a greater murder mystery. A president of the United States is gunned down in broad daylight on an American street. And we're 60 years later, and people are still trying to put all the pieces together. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, who killed JFK? I can't wait to uh, to listen. I want to talk to you about uh, my uh, favorite ex-president, Dick Stain, Donald Trump, big <laughs> dick Donald Trump. Uh, we started with that. Where, where are you at today? I mean... I personally agree with what you said at the top that through hell, high water, indictment after indictment, a gag order after gag order, that he will be running for president in 2024. And right now, if you look at the polls, he is going to win. He is up in all the battleground states. And when you factor in Additional candidates, Bobby Kennedy Jr., uh, a no-labels candidate, Cornell West, who is running an, an independent campaign. All of these will take votes away from Biden in the key swing states. And that's, you know, anywhere from four to eight states that are in play. And that's the whole uh, American election is based on those states. And the margins of victory in those states are very slim. I mean, Biden won Arizona by a slim margin. He won uh, Georgia by a slim margin. He's winning all these states by slim margin. All you have to do is start peeling votes away from him, and he doesn't win that. And, you know... Trump may not even get to 270 in electoral votes. But if Biden doesn't get to 270, then it's thrown into the House of Representatives, and we know what that'll be. They'll elect Trump. So right now, where we are with a great economy that people don't believe is a great economy, for some reason they're not feeling it. I don't know why. you got unemployment at the lowest rates it's been in 50 years. You've got uh, inflation under control and uh, jobs being created uh, like incredible. Uh, people don't feel it. So, you know, they say it's the economy stupid. 
to me, it's not just the economy, stupid. It's a choice we have. We are either going to decide we want to maintain the democracy that we have after 248 years. Are we going to still be a government of self-rule and a rule of law? Or are we going to give our way over to an autocracy, which is what uh, Donald Trump will do and said he will do. So uh, the choice can't be more clear. And to be honest with you, and I'm going to work as hard as I can to figure out a way. I even called Bobby Kennedy up and I said, Bobby, you're, you're, you're going to put Trump back in the White House. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to draw more votes from Trump than I will from Biden. That's not true. We don't know. There are polls that say the exact opposite. And you have to understand that there are no Trump voters that are go because Bobby Kennedy's on the ballot that are going to leave Trump. Those people are locked in. They're not going anywhere. The only way, the only votes he can get are independent votes or votes that would have gone to Biden. It, it, it doesn't, it, there's no argument about this. So I begged him and I said, please don't do this. And, you know, he's going ahead and he thinks he can win. He thinks and I he got can news win for him. what? What the fuck he, is he talking? He, he Rob, can't he's win. Not gonna win. He can't shit. win. He's not going to win. No, he can't he win. Thinks he, he thinks he can't he's going to be president of the United States, Kennedy? Yes, yes. Get the fuck yes. out of here. That's in fucking, yeah. the fact that he thinks that is, yeah. is, is so fucking ridiculous He's not going to yeah. fucking win. He's not even going to no, come he's close not to gonna be. No, he's not going to be president. The only thing he can do is put Trump back in the White House. And, uh, you know, listen, we've lived through it. We saw uh, on a smaller scale, we saw Ralph Nader put George W. in the White House over Al Gore because of voting Florida. We saw it in a bigger way, the both elections for Clinton, Ross Perot, Put Clinton in the White House. Clinton never got 50% of the vote. He had 43%, I think, or 44%, one, or 46 And then he, he never got 50%. The first uh, election, 19% went to Ross Perot. The second, I think it was like 7 or 8%. The point is, those third-party candidates swing elections one way or the other. And that's fine when you have a choice between, you know, Clinton or it's going to be George H.W. I mean, you know, I'd rather have Clinton or that. But this is not that kind of choice. This is, do you want democracy or autocracy? That's what we're dealing with here. To stay on Kennedy, and if you call him, you must have some sort of relationship with him. Do you think there's some sort of, is it ego or is it some hidden nefarious uh, reason for him running when you could say what you want him. This is not a an uneducated shit. The guy's more educated about politics no, no, than most no. people. He's, he, he he's can, very smart. And how the fuck can you think smart. that he's, he's going to be president of the United States? He's not going to win. He's very charismatic. He's a very charismatic guy, and I've known him for a long time. He's, uh, you know, he's married to a woman who was uh, uh, Michelle and my assistant. You know, worked at worked with us at the house, and then you know, before she got to her job playing Larry David's wife on uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and so I've known him for a long time. And he's a very smart guy, and he's very bright. And uh, you know, I used to love when he was uh, part of the NRDC, and he was fighting for uh, the river keepers and, you know, fighting for the environment. But uh, I, you know, he's gone into a direction that I don't uh, particularly like, you know, uh, the anti-vaxxer thing and all and certain things. But uh, I don't know. I can't get in his head and say what I think he thinks, but I do believe he thinks he can win. Um, I am not as politically astute as you are. I only... You know, what inspired me to get into, uh, pay attention to, not get into, but to pay attention more to politics was my dislike and being personally offended that Trump spoke the way he uh, speaks. Um, that's what really, you know, has helped me be as educated as I am now. And I got plenty, 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 plenty more to learn. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I've always been politically involved. You know, I've been doing that for as long as I can remember, but I was never on social media until uh, Trump got the nomination in 2016. I went, what the hell? This guy, he's not, you know, he may be smart about how to sell himself. What I've said over the years is that he's been a failure at everything he's ever done. The only thing he's successful at is convincing people he's not a failure. 
and and he's great at that. And so I got on social media. My wife said, you know, you got to talk. You got to speak out about this. And so I did. And I've been on social media since then because I can't believe that this country is going down this path and that it's still going down this path. And I made a documentary about, uh, like I say, about Christian nationalism, which now Trump is completely tapped into, you know, he's, you know, they think of him as the second coming and that he's, uh, you know, sent by God and, and Trump is, is owning all that stuff. And, uh, that's why they'll never leave him. They believe that, that he's uh, ordained, you know, he's ordained to be president and it's, it's scary. It's scary. Based on the documentary that you have coming out, what's the title of it, Rob? Well, we're now fiddling around uh, with the title. We have two titles which we're fiddling around with, and the press release is going to come out soon on it. So uh, I'll let you know. But but what's great sure about you, the I'm documentary— I'm sure you have some other titles that never made the final cut. I'm sure you— Oh, yeah, up. sure. But in, in this one, it's not an attack on Christianity. It's the exact opposite. In it, we have some very thoughtful, conservative evangelicals talking about the danger of white nationalism— to Christianity itself, and that it's being used as a political tool to gain power, and it is gone very far away from the teachings of Jesus. And that's what they talk about. And so you'll see, and that that the basis of uh, January 6th is people who are of, of that movement, who believe that God wants them to do this. And, you know, you see it, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and you've got the Speaker of the House now, uh, you know, Mike Johnson, who is one of those people who believes that, you know, I I govern by the word of God, not by, you know, what people know, you know, so it's it's scary. This whole where we are is a very scary place in this country. Man, you stop me in my tracks with that shit, man. I am Rappaport Podcast. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the draft. King's YouTube channel is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. John Wall, baby, needs no introduction. Every week, the five-time NBA All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA and what's going on now in the league. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoop takes. Plus, John Wall will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show to give their unfiltered accounts of what's really going on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Do you identify or identify? Are you Republican, Democrat, Independent? What, what do you sort of, you know, I guess the word is identify. How, how, like, do you even call yourself well, either one? I've been, I've been a Democrat my whole life. People who don't know me, uh, you know, on social media, they call me a libtard. They call right. me a meathead. You They're know, fucking yeah, I'm stupid. drinking baby's blood, you know, right. and I'm flying off to, you know, Adrenochrome. The, the, the Epstein or whatever. Have you been a cruise? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Adrenochrome, yeah, yeah. Epstein's yeah. Island. I, yeah, I, yeah, apparently. I'm all, I'm, I'm, 
I'm all, yeah, apparently I've been there a lot. I've never I, been to the Bahamas the in my but, life, uh, but yeah, but me, I've been to Epstein neither. Island many times. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, but I'm I'm much more moderate. You know, I would say I'm left of center for sure. But I've been in the political world for a long time, and I know about building consensus. I've had legislation passed here in California where I had to bring a lot of disparate groups together, and I understand about compromise and having to work with the you know with the other side. I've done all that stuff, so I'm not stupid enough to think. I mean, I'm not perfect is the enemy of the good. I don't believe that. I believe you want to get things done for people. You fight for as hard as you can for what you believe in, but ultimately you have to make a compromise. But you can't compromise with people who don't believe two plus two is four. You have to have a basic set of givens that you say, okay, we all believe two plus two is four. How do we get to that? that how do we get there? But if you're saying, no, no, I believe that, then, then you can't have a, an honest discussion with people. And I think that's where we are now. The Republican Party has been co-opted by people, a lot of them who believe the world is 6,000 years old and we're 10,000, whatever they believe. You know, I know it's hard to remember like where your head was exactly at in 1970, 1971, a Vietnam, post-Vietnam, and you're playing one of these uh, college, uh, post-college, I don't know if, if Meathead, and I say that with all due uh, respect, uh, you know, it went to college. With, all, I, with love. You're saying oh, it with love. Come on, fucking Meathead. I mean, are you <laughs> kidding me? Um, but did you ever imagine that the country would be as divided as it is now? Well, that's the thing. That's what's crazy. I mean, and why I, I've been so fixated on on the Kennedy assassination is because when Kennedy uh, died, he was planning to get us out of Vietnam. He had written this memo, which took a thousand troops out of uh, Vietnam right away and all military out of Vietnam by the end of 1965. Then he gets assassinated. Lyndon Johnson becomes president and we go full bore into Vietnam. And we were, you know, in a quagmire there for a long time. That was the beginning of the divide. We started to divide then. Half the country was against the war in Vietnam. Half the country was in favor of it. And so we started that divide. And then Things started to, you know, close up a little bit. You know, Johnson passed a lot of great legislation, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Medicare, Medicaid, all those things got passed. And we were on a good trajectory of becoming this uh, pluralistic society where we had uh, and it culminated with Barack Obama becoming president. And we say, oh, good. Finally, the realization of America is finally coming to fruition. And then we see the backlash. And the backlash is all these people that were submerged for all this time where you couldn't be, uh, you know, you couldn't be overtly racist and all that stuff. So now it's bubbled up and they've got a vessel in Trump and we're seeing this, uh, the divide open up even bigger than it was uh, during Vietnam. That's a good answer, and and I appreciate that. And you speak of uh, overtly racism, overtly racist. You know, for me as a Jewish person, uh, I'm 53. I grew up in New York City, right Manhattan. Um, I never ever, to be honest with you, I've never dealt face-to-face -face with anti-Semitism in my life. Still to this day, fortunately, right in my face. Yeah. You know, right. these last three weeks of the open anti-Semitism towards Jewish people, towards Israel. Um, are you surprised? How has it affected you? How are you processing everything that is going on in the world right now? Because just when, you know, for me, you know, I I, I don't know if you see my, my rants on Trump. You know, I had to put that shit on the back burner, you know, and I did yeah, it consciously. Yeah, no, no, because it... it no, you're right. I mean, uh, I've seen those rants and they're funny and they're great and they're all that. But um, no, you can't because the world is now being torn apart. And, uh, you know, as a Jewish person myself, it's frightening. I mean, anti-Semitism has always been there as long as I can remember. But like you, I grew up in the Bronx and, and in New York and then out here in Los Angeles, and I never came face to face with it like that because I'm in a world where there are a lot of Jewish people and, you know, and so on. But the rampant 
uh, anti-Semitism now is is very frightening, and you're seeing it on college campuses. And you know, speaking, and I yesterday I I actually did a uh, you know um, a video for this group that are uh, Holocaust survivors, people who have you know, and they're you know not many of them left. I have my aunt who who lives uh, in Atlanta. She lost her entire family, and she was in Auschwitz, and uh, she's survived. And my wife's. A mother also was in Auschwitz and lost her entire family there, and uh, she was the only survivor from her family. So I'm very conscious of where this can go, you know, where this kind of hatred can go. And when it's marshaled by someone, like it was in the 30s with Hitler, we see where it can go. And I just tell people, don't think it can't happen. Don't think it can't happen. All you need to get is somebody to be the vessel of all of that. And so let's see. I mean, it's scary. It's really scary. Yeah, it is scary, and it can go. And, you know, I was saying the other day, if the IDF hadn't showed up uh, on October 7th, they weren't going to stop. It wasn't like they were like, we want to just do this, that, and the third. They would have kept going and if they could that yes. day, they would have kept yes. going. They and would have done the whole thing in one day. Yes, it, yes. And here's what's tricky about all this. So you have to defend yourself and you have to attack back. I mean, you can't just let somebody do what you just said. But at a certain point, war it shifts. And then people start saying, now we're seeing, yes, 1,400 people killed babies and destroyed and raping and all that horror. But now we're doing that. And you're seeing the images of those little babies and, and, and people who are innocent and they don't subscribe to Hamas. So is this the solution? There has to be a way that we don't do it, you know, full bore. I worry about this. You know, I worry about the hostage. I worry about where's our standing in the world. And if we're not going to be for peace for everyone, and there's two-state solutions a million miles away, but that ultimately has to be where we wind up. And I don't know if we ever can wind up there because my feeling is you kill these Hamas people and 20 more grow in their place. You know, it's, you know, you don't, you can't kill hatred. You know, you can't kill hatred. You just have to find a way of containing it somehow and not letting it bubble to the surface like it has. And it's not just, you know, in the, in the Middle East, it's, you know, it's like when we went into Iraq, that was like the stupidest thing we could ever have done. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, didn't you, didn't anybody ever see Lawrence of Arabia? You know, you're not going to walk in there and plunk a, a democracy down and like, oh, we'll just make that a democracy. It doesn't work that way. So, you know, this is all scary times and it's, it's scary to be a Jew and it's scary to be a Muslim. You know, it, it, it's scary for on both sides right now. And we got to find a way to dial it down. I, I I don't know that that's what we're doing right now. I agree. I'm going to let you go, uh, Rob Reiner. I will first... But before we go, before we go, you just have to say with the JFK podcast, it starts on November 8th. November 8th. Did you say, did we say that? I, I'm saying 8th, it I'm again. A... We said it once, oh. and I'll say it at the top. Oh. The JFK podcast... Uh, created, directed by the great director, actor, uh, performer who killed JFK on iHeartRadio. Uh, it premieres on November eighth. Um, so many more things in the chamber. You said it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold. Listen, Rob. Next year, when this strike is done, uh, this is Spinal Tap. Uh, we're gonna have. Is it the reunion? Is it this is Spinal Tap Part Two? Do you do you have? A I'm work? not gonna tell you. I'm not going to tell you. We have a whole story. But planned. we're getting it done. Well, yes, as soon as the strike's over. Um, I and mean, I also suggest if people want some levity, you can go watch any and all episodes of All in the Family, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally Always Makes You Smile, Stand By Me, This Is Spinal Tap, Misery, A Few Good Men, or anything that has anything to do with the great Rob Reiner, uh, his family, uh, Carl Reiner, and everything that you've touched. It has just brought joy uh, to the world, and I suggest people watch it now because we need it more than ever. What a pleasure. I Like I said, oh. Rob, I've been a fan for such a long time uh, as an actor, as a director, as a producer, and as a commentator on what's going on in the world today. It was really a pleasure, and I can't wait to listen to the podcast and the documentary with Albert Brooks. 
Thank you, Michael Rappaport. I had a fun time being on your show. Thank you, Rob. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Okay. All right. right. Bye. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.